the book of Joshua. I know it's kind of odd. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So start in the beginning of the Bible and you'll get there in five or six books. Um, I'm going to read out of Joshua 15. And you're going to think to yourself, why the snarf are you reading this passage? And I'm just going to begin by telling you, remember, all scriptures God breathed. And uh, forgive me if I sound odd or uh, you hear the sloshling of a cough drop. I'm hoping I don't hack up a lung in the middle of the sermon, which would still be pretty awesome. But I'm suffering from the pride, I think, of last week when I said, I never get sick. I was sick all week. Like, I've never been in years, so... um, the Lord was laughing and I was not. Um, Joshua chapter 15, to read the first 12 verses, and you are going to say, these are one of the passages that I normally would skip, um, but we're not going to. We're obviously taking a break from Matthew, and uh, this was intentional um, because of uh, this week between Christmas. So Joshua 15, if you follow along, verse 1 says this, The allotment for the tribe of the people of Judah according to their clans, reached southward to the boundary of Edom, to the wilderness of Zin, at the farthest south. And their south boundary ran from the end of the Salt Sea, from the bay that faces southward. goes out southward to the ascent of Akrabim, passes along to Zin. It goes up south of Kadesh Barnea, along by Hezron, up to Adar, turns about to Karka, passes along to Asmon, goes out by the brook of Egypt, comes to its end at the sea. This shall be your south boundary. And the east boundary is the Salt Sea to the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary on the north side runs from the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary goes up to Beth Hogla and passes along north to Beth Arabah. And the boundary goes up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And the boundary goes up to Deber from the valley of Achor, so northward, turning toward Gilgal, which is opposite the ascent of Adamum which is on the south side of the valley. And the boundary passes along the waters of En Shemesh and ends at Enrogel. Then the boundary goes up to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the southern shoulder of the Jebusite, that is Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up to the top of the mountain that lies over against the valley of Hinnom on the west at the northern end of the valley of Rephim. Then the boundary extends from the top of the mountain to the spring waters of Nephtoah and from there to the cities of Mount Ephron, and then the boundary bends around to Balah, that is Kiriath-Jerim. And the boundary circles west of Balah to the Mount Seir, passes along to the northern shoulder of Mount Jerim, that is Chesalon, and goes down to Beth Shemesh and passes along by Timnah. And the boundary goes out to the shoulder of the hill north of Ekron, and the boundary bends around to Shekaron and passes along to the Mount Balah and goes out to Jabneel. And then the boundary comes to an end at the sea, And the west boundary was the great sea with its coastline. This is the boundary around the people of Judah according to their clans. And this is God's word. And it was put there, according to Paul in Romans, for us to learn something. And you're going, what? What could we possibly learn from this? Well, this final sermon of 2014 is uh, aimed at really helping you maybe consider what your resolution should be for 2015. No, it's not going to be resolutions this and resolutions that, but it is to maybe give you a moment of reflection. Clearly, um, that moment of reflection requires I preach from one of the most obscure texts in maybe um, all of 
Joshua. But those people who may be unfamiliar with the book of Joshua, let me just really give you a quick understanding. The book of Joshua records the fulfillment of the promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis that said, I'm going to take you to a land you do not know and give you this promised land. And so Joshua is um, himself one of two survivors of the generation that came out of Exodus, well, out of Egypt in the story of Exodus. They were unfaithful, and God basically punished them by making them walk around for 40 years until everyone over the age of 21 died. And the only two survivors were Joshua and Caleb because they were the only two faithful ones that said, hey, let's go into the promised land that God gave us when everyone else was like, no, there's giants there and it's really difficult. And God had said, but I gave it to you and He punished them. So now everyone's dead. And Joshua, Moses himself has died. And Joshua is charged to lead this people into the promised land and take what God said is theirs. And so, in essence, um, Joshua is a book of war. And it's a book where God's army led by Jesus, but really we see him led by General Joshua, reclaims God's land and brings it under God's rule. And so by chapter 12, which is 15, but by chapter 12, most of the conquest is done. Not all of it actually never fully gets done. But most of it's done. And by chapter 15, he's starting to distribute the land amongst the 12 tribes. So everyone's getting their portion of land that they've just battled over. And Judah is the first one, which we just read, who's getting their land. And so we think, we read this and we go, wow, it's really interesting, right? You're going to have land from the river of Snohomish to the peak of Mount Pilchuck and like, you know, like, not interesting for us, but for them, this is something they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And so every detail they hear is important to them. And that's why it's so detailed. Well, you're going to get it to this rock. And then the line goes over here and they're like, oh man, so this is ours and this is ours. And they're, they're hearing what their life inheritance is. This is your portion. This is where you're going to live. So for them, it's deeply important. It's deeply valuable. This is something that, again, this is God's kept promise. Here you go. This is yours. And so 2,500 years ago, as they're listening to this come out, this is incredibly important to them in a special moment. And so as you see, it's a lot of geographic boundaries, uh, in this case of Judah's inheritance, and as the, as the book, so I preached through Joshua, and this is Joshua 15, right? And it goes to like Joshua 20, 21 maybe, 20, 23. So at 15, we're like in, in land. People are like, oh my gosh, like what's the rest of the book like? And that's a lot of it actually is describing these boundaries. Um, and beginning with, with this chapter and, and lasting through the next few, you hear that word constantly. Boundary, 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 this boundary, that boundary, this boundary. In fact, in the first 12 verses, you hear it 19 times. It's very specific. Now, our culture today, when you start talking about boundaries, we use the word boundaries a little bit different. We're always talking about boundaries being to people put up relationally, right? I need healthy boundaries with you. You need healthy boundaries with me. That's not the kind of boundaries we're talking about. 
though I've heard people preach that through texts like this, which I think is kind of silly. But these boundaries, you know, how are we going to get this for us? These geographic boundaries are to help us, I believe, understand the responsibilities and the restrictions for where God has given us to live and to minister in. And for you to assess, if you will, your portion and to get to this place where you believe this, that everything you have and everything you don't have is from God. Okay? Everything you have and everything you don't have is from God. Sit on that for a second. Now let's move forward. The first 12 verses in chapter 15 here describe, as I said, those surrounding Judah and ends with a very definitive, the boundary around the people of Judah according to their clans. So once again, here's what we're reminded of. And I think most people will go, yeah, of course. And then when you really think about what I'm going to say, you may not like it. And that is this that this kind of passage reminds us that not only are all portions given by God, but a portion, whatever lot, that's a better way to describe it. Whatever piece you've been given, it's given by God, and the exact shape and size is determined by God. The exact shape and size is determined by God. That took a long time for me to get comfortable with as a minister or a pastor, if you want to see it, because it's very easy to play the compare game. When I was a high school teacher, I rocked. At least that was my perspective, right? Because the doors were closed, I had my own kids, and I didn't compare with any other English teacher. I could care less what they did. No one was podcasting my English lessons about Shakespeare or, or listening to them, right? Well, as a pastor, I can compare with all kinds of churches. Like, it's difficult not to look and see how you're doing. And you have to get to a place, right? To get to a place with Colossians 4.17 where you say, you know what, I'm going to fulfill the ministry that I've received, whether size that is, whatever nature, peace that is, color that is, and be at peace with that. Because the size and shape, whatever it is, wherever it is, God has given us. So we're not talking about boundaries that you and I need to put up in order to live responsibly. What we're talking about is understanding where God has given us to live and recognizing that there's no mystery about what we're responsible for and what we're not responsible for. The truth is God has placed each of us in a time and in a place and has given us a particular personality He's given us a particular family history. He's given us each a particular set of experiences with a particular face and body, right? He's given us perhaps a particular marriage, a particular job, different relationships. We've been given a specific neighborhood that you live in. You've been given a particular church that you are a part of. And within these boundaries that are shaped according to you, and some of us maybe share some of this stuff, you have certain responsibilities in. 
And if you don't know where your boundaries are, what you're actually responsible for, which provide both responsibility and restriction, as in I'm not responsible for this, if you don't know those things, what happens, you end up hurting people or hurting yourself. So if we consider what's inside Judah's boundaries, if we just look for a second, Judah, and I don't, you can look in here, I should have put a map up for you, it's a very large chunk of land. But as the tribe of Judah, which Judah himself is dead at this point, but his people, his, his descendants, when we talk about this chunk of land they've been given, they've been given a chunk of land, an area to build in, to provide for, and to protect. To build and to provide and to protect. And if any aspect of their land is threatened or is in need, the men and women had responsibility to, to lead and to take care of and to fight for whatever was within their borders. So they'll, they'll function very much like kings where they will constantly survey their land. Constantly survey where it's vulnerable, where it's weak, celebrate maybe where it's strong. But they're always looking at every aspect and they know every aspect because it's been written for them of what they're responsible for. And beginning with um, verse 21, which we didn't read obviously, you'll see that they actually get regions and then there's cities. And so you can see it gets very specific down from large clans to families to even individuals of what they're responsible for. And as a whole... If you think about this, the tribe of Judah was not commanded to concern themselves with another tribe's land. There are 12 tribes. They're being told, like, this is your portion. Build in it. Protect it. Take care of it. Provide for it. Don't worry about Simeon's land. Don't worry about Naphtali's land. You worry about Judah's land. They're not commanded to increase the size of their land. They're given very specific portion. This is yours. But what if we want more? This is yours. And they're not commanded to only cultivate the parts of their land that are easiest. That's a very tempting one. I'll just work with the fertile, beautiful, river-filled area over here, the Rocky Mountains over there, I'll ignore that. But that's your land. You're supposed to take care of it. Ah, it's just, it's nothing. It's kind of junky. I don't need to take care of it. It'll take care of itself. You're supposed to cultivate all of it. Protect all of it. Provide for all of it. Not just what's easiest. God marked out their territory for them to live in only and fully. To live in only and fully. And of course, as history dictates or indicates, that didn't mean they never ever uh, left their land in terms of if there was a brother in need, they would cross a border and they would help them fight if needed. But for the most part, their problems were primary. Didn't mean that the problems that they're their friends had or, or their brothers and sisters had in different parts were, were unimportant. It meant there was a hierarchy to things. Okay, Before I lead this church, I need to lead my family. 
That's primary. I love my family more than I love you. And you want me to, and you should feel the same way. There's a it's not that the needs of one are unimportant, it's that they're secondary. Does that mean we never make sacrifices and my family never feels a sacrifice of, of having to, to care for or to minister? No, absolutely not. They feel a sacrifice. But what's the norm? What's the pattern? It's my family is primary. Your family should be primary. Your portion should be primary before you help out with someone else. Because if not, you'll end up hurting what God has said. You are responsible for this. So what's that mean for us if we're talking about Judah? Well, in a similar way, I believe God has given us not only a unique portion, but He's given us specific boundaries for these portions. And so the question for all of us is, but we ever stop to survey the boundaries that God has given us? And this is what I think would be a great thing for all of us to do for 2015. So let me ask you some really simple questions. What are your God-given boundaries? Remember, not boundaries as in, I need healthy boundaries. No. Your God-given shape. And how do you determine that? How do you determine what is the line? Where are the lines? Well, where did Judah start? Where did all the tribes start? Right here. God's Word. We don't just start with my imagination or what I feel like or what I think because guess what? You're sinful. And your feelings and your intellect are often going to lead you away from God's Word. God's Word is the thing that becomes the governing force so it's you want to know, what am I responsible for? We start reading. And God's Word will say, well, you're responsible to shepherd your own heart and your relationship with the Lord. You're to feast on the Lord so that you can feed those who are in your care, your family. You have responsibilities to your neighbor. You have responsibilities to your church. You have responsibilities to a lot of people, actually. I think what's beautiful about God having a written word and not just an oral word is that you can always go back and check and review what it is you actually are responsible for. What God has given you to take care of. What has God given you to build? Right? Once you know where your borders are, have you ever surveyed what's actually within the borders? What healthy things exist? And which need to be built? Where within your borders are the threats? Where are the weaknesses? What have you been given to protect and what is actually vulnerable now? Where are the weak spots? I think one of the most convicting things as a father is to be certain I'm aware of the spiritual kind of status of each of my children. Just where are they at? What do they understand about God and His Word? And I think it's extra difficult for me maybe because um, there's a temptation to assume, well, if they're part of a church and their dad's a pastor, it just kind of works itself out. Right? It doesn't just work itself out. Those needy sheep don't always know how to feed themselves yet. 
until someone shepherds them in such a way to teach them. But do you know where you're do you know where you're vulnerable, right? Where your weaknesses are, where your relationship with the Lord could could use some cultivation. Where your relationship in your neighborhood could use some change. Whatever it happens to be. Do you know? Have you assessed? Okay, this is what I'm responsible for. You don't just move on. You go, now how is it? What's the health of it? What's the health of my marriage like right now? That's a great question for 2015 for those who, who uh, um, are married. Why don't you just ask your spouse how you're doing as a husband or wife? So that you can set 2015 on a good like trajectory. Communication. All these things. Who's been placed in your care, right? And that's not just who are actually in your family. There's been many people that you have been given within your portion to cultivate and to care for and to protect that maybe your neighbors, maybe some extended family that you barely ever see, but they... You are the, the one connection between them and the Lord. What or who needs cultivation? What relationships has God made you responsible for? What family, what friends, what neighbors, what co-workers? What church members? And where maybe within your borders do you need to battle? Do you need to maybe put down the standard and start fighting a little bit? Because it's being attacked. And do you have a strategy at all to do that? Is there a battle plan to develop the portion that you've been given? Do you know what things that you can let go and what things that you need to address right now? So again, it's, it's starting going, what has been given to me? What is in, in, in inside my borders? And what's the health of those things? And do I even ask those questions about my family and my marriage and my job and my neighbors and all these things. And it can be overwhelming. So you start knocking it a little slowly, piece by piece. All that we have is given from God. And some people have a very large portion, right? Just like, man, they can handle a lot. And there's a lot that they're responsible for. And there are others that have smaller portions. And that's not better or worse. That just is. The question is how big your portion is. The question is, what are you doing with the portion God has given you? And are you caring for it? Are you watching for it to make sure that it is healthy? That when it's vulnerable, you're there to, to protect it and care for it. And there is without doubt a danger when you start talking about boundaries like this because you can, become, you can become so other-oriented as you're just looking at other people. How's my spouse doing? How are my kids doing? What are co-workers doing? And you can wrongly kind of like put on the Savior cape and go, okay, well, I've got to save all these people inside this area that I've been given. And all the while, you ignore your own need for a Savior. That you... Maybe a caretaker, but you're a really weak and rebellious one. So therefore, the best way to begin or the best way to start is to maybe survey your own relationship with the Lord. And ask yourself if 2013's relationship with the Lord looked any different than 2014's relationship with the Lord. And will 2015 look any different? 
And I know many of us are tempted to like, oh, we're just talking about like, you, can, you know, some kind of works thing. No, I'm just, it would be the same question I ask for maybe you and a friend or you and your spouse. Like, wouldn't you want your relationship with your spouse or your friend to be more rich next year than it was this year? Shouldn't that be the same with the Lord? And I can assure you that if that's not where it begins, if you don't begin with that portion, the rest will suffer. The rest will suffer. So let's talk about what's outside the boundaries, though, because this is where we really get in trouble. Okay? As the boundaries of the inheritance are outlined, not only does Judah know where their land is, they also know where their land is not. God's borders are not only given so that we know where, what, and who we're responsible for, they're also given so that we know where, what, and who we're not responsible for. And for those of us, especially who are very compassionate and and, and very other-oriented, know that that can fall into sin. Like, that's a good thing, but it can become a very bad thing. That's how sin works. It takes good things and makes them bad things. Some of us have convinced ourselves that, that we're Jesus. And what I mean is that, like Jesus, we believe it's our responsibility to step and fight as many other battles as we can. Because we're, if I don't show up, no one else will. You realize a couple things. That first of all, Jesus didn't help every single person he could have. And secondly, that even though he didn't personally help them in that moment in his ministry in those three years, they still were helped probably at some point. Or may have been. You don't know. But we can convince ourselves that if I don't do something, if I don't step in here, not every battle is given by God for you to fight. But this is tempting for us because what happens as we think we're helping people we help them see their sin by rebuking them at every opportunity or criticizing them in front of others. We help them by teaching them what they should do with their lives, though they're not asking and your own is a mess. We help people by protecting them, by policing their behavior, all the while never asking whether that's your responsibility. So if you know where your borders are, do you know where your borders are? Or your portion is not, I should say. So what is, just look again, assessing your life. What's outside of your borders right now? And how much time and energy are you dedicating to building something God never told you to take ownership of? And how has that project distracted you from actually what you are called to be responsible for? So in other words, you see this in pastors all the time. And I've been guilty of this. Where the church grows and thrives and you look at his family and what's happening there? Suffering. Because that which was primary became secondary or even lower. People go, but gosh, it's got a successful ministry and they're doing such good things. Maybe that was outside their borders and you know that very quickly when you are pouring all the energy, whatever energy you're pouring into something to build, if it's taken away from the things the Bible clearly says you are responsible to do. Now, I believe I'm called to be a pastor. 
before I believe that, I know I'm called to be a husband and a dad. And if something's going to go, guess what? The pastor thing will go way before being a husband and dad. The only time the husband and dad thing goes is if, I guess, everyone gets wiped off the face of the planet because I'm a husband until my wife stops breathing. I could stop being a pastor right now. So we have to keep those in... There are many good things we can do, and some of us, men in particular, especially driven, ambitious men, are pouring energy into stuff as your family suffers. And you ignored the portion that you have, which is to care for your family, your marriage, as you've built this wonderful career, or any number of other things. What's outside of your borders? What's not your responsibility to protect? What is threatened but not your job to save? Who are you trying to save that God has not put in your care? And who have you convinced yourself desperately needs you? In the truth, they may not. What needs do you have the opportunity but not the responsibility to meet? And where are the battles that you have not been called to fight? See, all that we've been given is a gift from God. And all that we have not been given is a gift from God. That's a harder one to believe. What you have and what you don't have are gifts from God. And I'm not trying to get to a place where you say, well, you should never help anyone else. I'm just saying, don't ever assume that helping is always the right answer. Assess what God has given you. Assess the needs that are clearly within your borders. And ensure that those are cared for, that those are protected, that those are being built up and and, and made more fruitful before you expend energy and time and money and all things at the expense of the inside of the borders for something outside. If you don't know where your God-given borders are, then it's likely one thing will happen. You will make up your own. And man-made boundaries basically result when you deny God's description of your responsibilities and you create ones based on emotions or intellect or experience. And man-made boundaries are always put in the wrong places. We do this a couple different ways. Sometimes we build our own boundaries. In other words, you never actually uh, read the land survey that God gave you. Imagine if Judah did that. They started laying down barbed wire fence, which probably hadn't been invented by them, but you know, started going, all right, this is our land. And they're like, you might want to check with God because I think that was ours. Nope, this looks clearly like it's ours. And the boundaries, like if you look at the shape, they never could have predicted that. And you know what they would have done? If the men had their choice, they would have all fought and divvied it up equally. Well, guess what? If you look at the land and the, and the map, if you back your Bible, I'm sure they'll have it there, none of the portions look equal. And they all look very strange in terms of their shape and size, and there's no rhyme or reason other than God's wisdom. But often we make up our own boundaries, 
like, I'm responsible for this, having never ever actually asked God, prayed to God, read what God has said. Should I care for this? Should I help with this? Oftentimes, we not only just ignore them, but we adjust God's boundaries a little bit because we just don't like them. God puts a fence here, and we go, I don't think so. I like that. Or, God puts a fence here, and we say, hmm, I don't really want to be responsible for that. I'm going to move the fence in. But I think the most common thing for us to do is to covet and to adopt other people's boundaries that we like. It's just so much easier to focus on other people's land. Whether it be focusing on their problems or focusing on their successes, it takes our eyes off of the portion we've been given because many of us get to the place where we're just dissatisfied with what God's given us. Which is what my last point is. Which I wonder is if many of us find ourselves. Because we can get to a place where we're like, fine, these are my borders. And I'll deal with it. But really inside, we're just not satisfied. And the beautiful thing is God's Word deals with that. We have to believe that all we have and that all we don't have is from God. And we are tempted toward discontentment when we believe that God is not a loving Father who gives us His best and knows exactly what we need and exactly what will bring us joy. So if you look in chapter 15 again, I'm going to read a couple more verses that I didn't read yet. Beginning in verse 13. Caleb was Joshua's, um, the other guy that survived because he was a faithful spy and wanted to go battle the promised land, and so he got to. Caleb was like a warrior, his right-hand man. At this point, he's 85 years old. He's an old warrior, but still a stud. Okay, Never too late for ministry. Verse 13 says this, and this is a strange passage, but it's going to make sense in a second, or it'll totally confuse you. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kirith Arba, that is, Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from the three sons of Anak, Shishaya, and Ahimon, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. These are like the giant dudes. Okay? And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debur. Now the name of Debur formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, Whoever strikes Kiriath Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Asa my daughter as wife. And, <laughs> and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him his daughter as wife. And when she came to him, 
she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of the Negev. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Okay, so where are we at? We've got to figure out what's inside our borders because God is holding me accountable for that. We've got to figure out what's outside of my borders because sometimes I'm responsible for that and I need to help, but sometimes I don't. I need to know what's primary and what's secondary. So we get back to what's inside my borders and I go, okay, this is what I got, huh? Some of us are just dissatisfied. Caleb, after having given his special portion by God's command, 85-year-old Caleb wastes no time in securing his land. He gets right after it. Many of these areas that they're given and allotted still have some enemies in them, and so when they're given a portion, they're responsible to clear the rest. And so Caleb's like, boom, I'm after it. And so he, in many ways, because you see him different than any other tribes, really, he sets the standard for what everyone's supposed to do. Takes it seriously and and proceeds. Debur, that they talked about, uh, had once been conquered and held by Joshua. But it looks like it's been recaptured by the Canaanites, and so he has to recapture what has been captured before. And so he offers his daughter's hand in marriage to anyone who will do it, and the guy that steps up is Othniel, who you may be familiar, he's out of Judges. He's one of the judges who saves Israel as well. And says, anyone can could take this, have my daughter, and so <laughs> excuse me, he does. Now there are a lot of reasons to, uh, or a lot of things you can learn from this passage, namely, you should find a stud for your daughter to marry. But, I like to focus on the request of his daughter, because if her daughter, or his daughter, Caleb's daughter, comes to dad, it helps us understand maybe about what's inside our borders, and what we have. As I said, most people, or not a lot of people, at one time or another are really just dissatisfied with what's in their borders, with their family, with their job, with their community, with their church. And we typically have a fight or flight you know, mentality with regards to those. We either just attack it and hate it, or we leave. Leave our job, leave our family, leave our church. All because we're dissatisfied with what God gave. Caleb's daughter is not satisfied with her inheritance. She's not satisfied. But look how she deals with it. She comes to dad and she says, give me a blessing. The land she was given is really dry. Really difficult to farm and, and cultivate because it's so dry. And so she asks her dad to extend her borders a little bit. And you might think, wow, she's asked for more, right? Which is seemingly the, the, the solution for all of us. Well, if I had a little more land, a little more money, a little more fill in the blank, all life would be better. But notice what she asks for. She doesn't ask 
for borders to be increased so she can have more. She asks so that what she already has will become more satisfying. She asks for water. She asks for water for her dry land. She doesn't ask for different borders. She doesn't ask for like, seriously, give me this dry, how about that over there? She asks for a blessing for what she has, says, would you give me some waters so that what I have been given will be more satisfying? She asks to increase her borders simply so that she can have life for the border that she has been given. She asks for the means by which to bring the borders that she has been given to life. If the land within your borders, if the land within your borders is dissatisfying, don't fight for different borders. Don't run from the portion that you have been given. Ask for the Father to renew it. Ask for the Father to give it life. And we know that life comes through Christ. John 4 says, Jesus said, speaking to a woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There are always going to be those moments where we feel like the land we've been given is dry and dissatisfying. And I'm just saying, as you go into 2015, instead of asking or, or, or planning for, hoping for something different, I can't wait to leave that old land behind. Why not ask God to inject Jesus into it and through it bring life to what is there? To that marriage that is dry, to bring up springs of water to make it fruitful, that job that is dissatisfying, to bring up springs of Jesus Christ to make it fruitful. For that neighborhood that seems dead, to give you eyes of Jesus to see the life that is there, to look at the portion that you have and instead of wanting to run from it or change it, to ask God to bless it and to see it as a gift given to you then you don't have to do everything there is to make it better. You just have to ask the one who has everything to make it better to do something. That would be a satisfying 2015. And so my prayer as we go into this next year is not increase more and change all these things. It's to see, I want to see what we have become more rich and what we have become more fruitful as Christ comes in and makes it so. And we will end 2014 like we will begin 2015, which is taking communion, reminding ourselves very simply that there are always times, every week, where we come to the table feeling like the Serengeti Desert. Feeling like we've just been, the heat has been poured on, and we've been pounded on, and we just want to fly like a bird and fly away and get away from it. And instead, we come to the table where Jesus says, you know what, partake. Partake at the cross. Receive not only forgiveness for all the ways you maybe have screwed up your land, for all the ways you've ignored your land. That's a good way to begin 2015. 
don't you begin by confession for the ways that you have ignored the portion, the beautiful gift that God has given you, looking at some other portion, thinking it's better, and not seeing the gift that you have right there. But as we come to the table, we, we receive life. We receive renewal. We're reminded not just of crucifixion, but of resurrection. I'll close with this verse and we'll pray. Out of Psalm 16, 5-6. Actually, I'll pray this psalm and we'll close. If you close your eyes and we'll pray. Lord, your word says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Oh, Father. Let us see very clearly the borders that you've laid out for us. Let us see the people that you have put into our care. Let us see the neighbors that you have called us to reach. Let us see the children and the different people in our lives that you have called us to shepherd. Let us see all the responsibilities we have that are, that are in our borders and, and give us eyes to discern the health and the vulnerabilities and where they're weak and where they're strong. And let us be certain, Father, of what is outside of our borders and help us to be discerning as we so much want to help, Father, but not at the expense of what is clearly our primary portion. Let 2015, Father, be a year where, as men and women, we take seriously the responsibility to shepherd those in our care. To steward the gifts that you've given us, the portion you've given us, Father, to your glory, for our joy. I just pray, Father, you'll make us a more faithful people who will be deeply satisfied in what we have and not always asking for more. Not looking for more. Not seeking for more, believing that's some kind of solution. But Father, believing that what You have given us is enough. That Christ is enough. And that Christ's presence in our life as the psalm says, Lord, You truly are a portion. And if we have You, whatever else we have been given in this life is a bonus and a means through which we can honor You and bless others. Help us to have that attitude. May You build this church not in the ways that the earth or the, the world might see as good, but may build, Father, a deeper love for Christ in our hearts, a deeper appreciation for the cross, a deeper affection for one another, and a deeper commitment to extend that love to those around us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.